report in. Red 10 standing by. Red 9 standing by. Red 3 standing by. Red 6 standing by. Red 9 standing by. You're listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast. Laugh it up, fuzzball. Your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. Welcome to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen, and I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Tom and William. Today, we're joined by fan and friend of the podcast, Rick. Hey, Rick, how's it going? Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. I'm super excited to talk uh, talk with you guys, and especially about all of the really neat little bits and and animation and music and everything about this latest episode of uh, Star Wars Rebels. Yeah, this is yep. this is a fun one, and I know um, <clears throat> you and I we went to the uh, the Rebels premiere at Comic Con last year together, um, and then uh, we were at Celebration again and hung out a lot. Um, almost went down to the Rebels screening recently, so you know you and I have seen Star Wars Rebels many times together, and it's it's always it's always a pleasure. So we're glad to have finally have you on the show. Absolutely. And as you alluded to, we're, of course, reviewing the latest episode of Star Wars Rebels, which is titled Wings of the Master. And we'll hear about more about in that in a moment. But first, I believe, uh, William, you have a couple of things to talk about. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, we don't we don't li- like to break the news here on Ion Cannon, but we do like to discuss it every once in a while. And uh, this week, there was a ton of The Force Awakens content uh, to be consumed there were a good two. I don't know if we talked about the the thirty second TV spot uh, on last week's episode. I think it might have come out right after the episode was done, uh, or maybe it was during the middle of the week. Anyway, doesn't matter. There was uh, a thirty second TV spot for um, for the UK. It was put up by Star Wars UK. Uh, There's a sixty second uh, US television spot. And then there was another one actually just today as we're recording this released uh, by Disney. I think it was on the Disney Channel. Um, I think it was Disney Channel. Yeah. And so we've had three new TV spots with a lot more information. Um, if you want to stay completely spoiler free, you might not want to watch them because they're progressively revealing more and more. Um, <laughs> it's usually, like this, usually the same scenes for the most part, though. Um, just, you know, additional dialogue. And uh, we got even more Kylo Ren dialogue and... Um, Maz Kanata and all that kind of stuff. So um, I don't want to go stuff. too much into it here um, just because uh, some people have not seen it yet uh, or, or might not want to. But uh, definitely to. check those out. Also, if you want to learn a lot about The Force Awakens, our uh, friend of the show, uh, Anthony Bresnikan, put up a ton of exclusive content on uh, EW. Um they, I think the latest issue of Entertainment Weekly and the website as well has a ton of interviews with uh, Harrison Ford, Anthony Daniels, Daisy Ridley, and John Boyega. A bunch of behind-the-scenes content on, uh, you know, where is Luke Skywalker and all the marketing material? Uh, what is Starkiller base? What's what's the relationship between General Hux and Kylo Ren? Um, uh, they had a really interesting gallery of all of these photos with tons of uh, descriptions detailing, like, you know, things about maybe Ray's speeder or different clothing. Um, there's a piece about uh, some uh, attribute of Maz Kanata that is interesting. Uh, I, I don't want to go too much into details there. But definitely, definitely go check it out if you're excited about The Force Awakens. 
a lot of good stuff in there. Um, I, I'd say the Maz Kanata thing and the Starkiller base comment are two of the biggest surprises to come out of there, but check out all the content. Well, also, if you go, it's got four different covers on it. If you find it mm. at the newsstand, you've got Harrison Ford, you've got Daisy Ridley, uh, you've got John Boyega, and then the fourth cover, which I was recently, and that's how I picked up my copy at the newsstand. The one I did not see, which I don't know if it's a telling thing, but the C-3PO R2-D2 one was not there. But the other three you are able to get a hold of, or at least at the newsstand I went to, I was able to get a hold of at least one of those three. But four different covers, so they're making it a collectible. Okay, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yep. So yeah, uh, awesome job, Anthony. Thanks for releasing all that cool content. And with that, Tom, take us into the episode. Okay, today we're going to be reviewing Rebel Season 2, Episode 5, Wings of the Master. This is written by Stephen Melching, and it was directed by Sergio Paez. The synopsis, with the Rebels in desperate need of a ship with heavy weaponry, Hera seeks out a master engineer who has built a powerful new starfighter prototype. It's interesting they need a heavy weaponry system or heavy weapon system when I thought a blockade runner was something that was supposed to be able to get through a blockade. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I just I thought I'd throw that out there. I mean, I also thought blockades involved more than like three ships on a single point on the planet, but you know. Okay, here, here's the thing. You've got three ships in front of you. Don't you think you can go around the other side of the planet? Shh. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be too easy. Or come in from a pole. I mean, if if you've got them at the equator, nobody's guarding the poles. Well, I mean, if you think about it, you know, if you're coming around the other side, they can maybe move around the planet with enough time to intercept you. I, I don't know. Problem. Okay. I had to they throw that crazy there. things up here. But no, it is, it is interesting that we have a ship called the Blockade Runner, right? That mm-hmm. in the, at the beginning of this episode cannot get past an Imperial blockade. Yeah. Which is kind of funny. Um, but really, the whole reason for you know there's these there's this this is um this there are they're surrounding the planet ibar right and there's this all the uh the locals are starving um and they're they're almost at their breaking point right they haven't eaten in so long people are about ready to start dying and uh and so that's when the rebels come in to rescue them um and so the whole you know blockade and not being able to get past it etc is really just you know the 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 reason for it's the MacGuffin. It's the MacGuffin yeah, it's for MacGuffin. getting the B wing. That's really all this is. You mean the blade wing? Well, it's not a B wing. I heard it, I heard it's called something else, Stephen. Yeah. Okay. So I may have put the word bleed wing into the show notes instead of blade wing. <laughs> okay. But that, I just thought it was a lot, you know, more hardcore. <laughs> but I I do have a question. <clears throat> Did they ever explain? why this planet was chosen to be blockaded other than the MacGuffin of the people who are starving no. and we need to get supplies to them. No. There is no okay. explanation, nor nor do we really know why it's important enough to the rebels to actually go after it. Well, I mean, I think Agent Callus discusses that later, right? Later on in the episode, he's they, they cut off supplies completely from the locals. <clears throat> and Callus says he knows the rebels return since they can't help avoiding people in need. And says it'll well, be the last true. mistake they ever make. So I think that's really the reason. You know, he knows, hey, if they try to come to help. Try to, to try and draw him out. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, um, yeah, well, the, the the backstory here is a little bit 
shallow. Uh, there's not a whole lot of, you know, reason for why they want to go help Ibar. But again, it, it's really about the MacGuffin than, than anything else. Uh, I didn't think it, it was funny, though. Uh, they don't actually reveal this in the episode, but if you read the episode guide, the uh, the rebel on I, Ibar, his name is Ish Fam, uh, which, if you reverse, is Fam Ish, as in famished. <laughs> so oh. once again, they're continuing the, uh, the Clone Wars trend of doing some uh, punny character names in the background. Yep. Uh, what was what was the guy in, in the Clone Wars? He was um, well in Clone Wars. There's I'm a gun die because he's gonna die. Yeah, I'm a gun uh, die. And there was the other Jedi. I think he was the Jedi, right? On um, I say season one or two of the Clone Wars. Hmm. I can't remember now off the top of my head, but oh, I'm trying to think. There was another another name with a pun there. Something similar. Yeah. yeah. They're going to have to retool that, um, you know, the little uh, Star Wars name generator. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Famished. Uh, how, how will you die? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You'll die from being famished. You'll die from being, you know, yeah. Forced um, Yeah, exactly. My name is Leet Sabered. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's uh, something there. Chalk Force. Um, <laughs> there you go. All right. Anyway. Drop the puns long ago. You know, we did, but even Peel can't resist going back to them. Uh, oh! <laughs> okay. On that note. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> sorry. Snuck in. God, even even Peel hasn't made, made an appearance in I don't know how long. He has not. People. He's back. Even Peel wow. is back. Uh, okay. So what you're saying is that even Peel couldn't stay dead. <laughs> I wasn't gonna say it, but that is that is true. Oh, okay. <laughs> um. So of course, Rex, who at this point I think is the yeah, he's like the single por- source of all information that helps the rebels at this point. So it's really good that he joined them. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's like, hey, I know of about this ship, and it's a prototype called um. Uh, it's basically a, a blockade buster right? it allows you to get through any, right. any blockade that you want and as we find out it is the B-Wing uh, mm-hmm. and so Kanan signs Hera up to go to the planet Shantipole to retrieve this fighter um, even though everyone knows it's a one way trip for some reason uh, yeah did they ever explain that That's is it because of the atmosphere yeah, yeah it's so a one way trip the atmosphere knocks the power out of ships that are trying to land, which, you know, means that they all crash. Yeah. Horribly. Yep. Uh, I thought it was interesting, actually, that, uh, you know, a little, a little bit later we'll get to meet, uh, we meet on the planet, we meet Quarry, who is named after Ralph McQuarrie. And uh, he, he's a little uh, Mon Cal. I almost said <laughs> a Quarren. I've talked about this in a, on a few episodes. I think it's a little confusing that you have a. You know the Mon Cal and the the Mon Calamari and the 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 Corins both live on Mon Cal, uh, and you have a Mon Calamari named Quarry. Quarry, yep. Just a little confusing, but it's a, uh, minor details. You know, no big deal. Um, but uh, I, I really enjoyed his voice. He's 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 voiced by Corey Burton, uh, yeah. who of course he did Cad Bane and Cad Bane and so many other great ones, great characters. 
but more importantly, he's named after Ralph McQuarrie, who, as we all know, did the concept art for the Star Wars films and really defined the look of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. But that's not the only reference to uh, to, to other things. Um, Corey's, uh, he has a droid named, uh, oh, I, I just wrote this down here. Uh, BG, right? Yeah, it's... Um, BG-81. Yeah, BG, there we go. BG-81. Corey's asteroid droid is BG-81. Thank you. Uh, and he's named after Bill George, who designed the B-Wing at ILM. Oh, that's cool. In fact, BG's color scheme looks is designed to look like a shirt that Bill wore in a famous photo. That's incredible. Which is, like, the yeah. detail on this is amazing. And that's crazy. in addition to that, uh, the planet Chantipole uh, itself, where Corey resides, uh, is named after the an old RPG adventure called Strike Force Chantipole, published in 1989 by West End Games. And in Strike Force Chantipole, there is the concept of a Mon Calabari being pivotal in the design of a B-Wing. That's really that cool. Is just... I, the amount of lore that came out of some of those old West End game stuff is just crazy. It is. It is. And, and the fact that they were able to work all of this information into this episode in particular uh, yeah. was, was really cool. Just how many references there are to, you know, other people or uh, past works. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they were kind of influential in Star Wars. It's nice to know that they did their research to pull all this stuff together. Yeah. But uh, but Rick, what did what did you think of the planet uh, Shantipole? Do you have any any thoughts on it in general or, or Quarry? Well, okay. So first of all, with Quarry, um, Moncal MC Quarry. So that was I mean I think that was <laughs> that was a given. That was a gimme. But right at the very end of the episode, we uh, the the name Shantipole is referenced, and it didn't take till another viewing actually for me to understand to connect the dots with. Chantipole, and I'm really curious as as to really what the significance of Chantipole and the future of the series. You think it might show up again? Um, I think so, um, because he does reference at the end. I don't know if we want to jump to the end, but yeah, yeah sure, feel free to jump. Yeah, go ahead. He does reference Project Chantipole, doesn't he? Yeah, I think Project Chantipole was the name of the b-wing project is, is that just okay so that's just the the blade doom blade wing or b-wing project yeah i think so well it's interesting because so putting on my ship hat for a moment okay. the b-wing isn't something in the rest of canon or previous canon wasn't introduced until the middle of like episode five and episode six because it exists essentially to take over the bomber role that the y-wing had taken been for so long Mm-hmm. So it was really interesting, like like with the A wing, to see it introduced almost so early. Yeah, um, I think I think it's okay. And in, in uh, I believe this is in the Rebels Recon episode, they talk about how you know while we don't see the B wing in the films until Return mm-hmm. of the Jedi, um, the ship is still around. You know, the Rebels are just all these tiny little groups uh, spread out around the galaxy, and so. Um, yeah, you know, the the group we see in A New Hope uh, doesn't have any B wings. They only have X wings and um, X and Y wings. wings. Yeah, and you know the the, the A wings and the B wings. Those are in you know a, a different squadron. 
and, and so that's why they just never cross paths. And, and in Return of the Jedi, that's when they actually bring all of their resources together from around the galaxy for one big fight. Um, See, to me, that makes sense. Because if you have all these different factions, these different factions are going to be able to pull in their own resources. And that's why during, let's say, the original trilogy, until Jedi, you never got to see the B-Wing and the A-Wing at that time because that was a different faction. So right. that that story all made sense, made sense to me. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of cool to see the, the origins of the B-Wing or the Blade Wing, as we find out um, in this case. I, I've always thought the B-Wing was a, an odd-looking ship. You know, mm-hmm. it's got the... It's got the cockpit on one side, and the the ship rotates around the cockpit itself. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which uh, I'm I'm really glad they you know they've got that set of shots in the middle where you. Sorry, hang on. Sorry, I'm just getting over getting sick, and I still have a cough. Which <laughs> it. It makes it hard to talk. But they've got the sequence, you know, after Hera first gets the B wing and you know takes off, and she's flying through the atmosphere. Like that was kind of like the scenery type shots to establish how beautiful the ship is. I was really glad they showed off the rotation around the cockpit, mm-hmm. which again, in previous lore, they talked about as being something that was actually kind of confusing for a lot of pilots and they had trouble with it and made the B wing a less popular ship. Cause it was so much harder to fly. Yeah. And in fact, um, when she figured it out, I, and you know, initially my impressions of the B wing is that, you know, it's so unorthodox. It's just a wing and it doesn't have that, uh, uh, the front end of, and the rear of the ship, um, like like a traditional sort of uh, spaceship or a flying craft, but yep. you know it seemed kind of seemed kind of awkward to fly. And and when Hera was flying it, it indeed seemed a little bit different for her. But then when she actually made it, the ship rotate. What what was the comment that she made? She remarks like, "There we go" or something, and, and she realized the the prowess that 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 this uh, ship actually mm-hmm. offered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. See, the thing that I found interesting about the ship that you never saw in the movies is it was able to take almost like a Death Star type laser where you have a one mm-hmm. focal point of the lasers from the cannons meeting in one area, one one spatial era, area and shoot from that point. So that, you could definitely tell, makes it a great blockade runner. Because it's focusing its energy. I also found it interesting, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in toward the end, and we're jumping all over the place, but wasn't Sabine manning the outer guns in that? Yes. B-wing. She was. Okay, that's what I thought. Well, but it's I a thought, prototype, which that makes sense. Like. I thought yeah, Sabine was what... in the Ghost, connected to the B-wing. Uh, th- then that's my confusion because the I way don't know. that I, I was a little confused by it as well, so now I'm not okay. sure. Yeah, because the B-Wings that we saw later, and in fact, the Legos and the models that you've seen of it, that end, that gun on the end of that wing, it's basically not big enough to hold a person. But at the end of this one, I could have sworn that was Sabine yeah. manning the gun I in the so B-Wing. I thought so too, but maybe she was in the, the Ghost of the Phantom instead. I'm not, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. It might have just been the way they put the shot. I mean, how they angled that shot made it look like if she was in the Ghost or the Phantom right next to the b-wing it made it look like it was part of the b-wing yeah i I would agree i think to me it looked like she was in that uh the gun part Mm -hmm. of that of the b-wing and especially since i think right before they fired that super laser they kind of coordinated right didn't harris say something uh to that effect like yeah there was ready yeah there was something about like and i thought it was 
the connection to the fact that uh, the weapon systems weren't properly set up on the B-Wing yet. Right. And so they needed, you know, a Mandalorian touch to truly get him in line. But uh, I don't know. I thought it was interesting. I wonder if that, like, you know, obviously we've never seen the combined attack out of a uh, B-Wing before. Mm-hmm. Although that doesn't mean that all B-Wings couldn't do it. But I, I wonder if that's something that maybe, you know, as they moved into the production model, they took it out or... or... Yeah, that that's what I was. That was my big question coming out of this episode, right? Because we see that the B wing is is actually extremely powerful. It was d- just cut through the the imperial blockade at the end, right? Just completely decimates it. Um, so what happens to that? I, I'm guessing maybe it was too expensive, or they couldn't find the resources to uh, produce those ships at at scale. Um, which is which is unfortunate. I mean, we we do learn that it's a you know, it is a prototype. In fact, the on the side of the ship, it it even says um, prototype B six uh, on the ship, which I thought was cool. Given that uh, a lot of times, you know, in, in reality, when you're looking at prototypes, they do have like a, you know a letter or two followed by a number and indicating the, the the stage of development for that prototype. Um, so you you know you'll have like a. a I don't, I don't have an exact example for you in this case. Uh, at least I don't know if I can share it, but you know, you've got like um, this is the the first iteration. This is the the second iteration. This this the second version in the, in this in phase two, and then you've got phase three and, mm-hmm. and so on. Um, so it's kind of cool that they they matched that style for this, this yeah. type. And yeah. we find out that Corey is actually going to oversee production for all of the uh, all the B wings later in one of Senator Organa's shipyards, which is, which is pretty cool. Yeah. See, I thought that was really interesting because in my mind, that's like, and this is an issue I had with kind of the episode from a thematic standpoint, but at this point in time, the rebel Alliance isn't about running blockades or breaking blockades. I should say yeah. that's why it's a blockade runner. Like mm-hmm. you, the rebels don't have the ability to stand up in a straight up fight. It's just not, not in the cards at this point. Mm-hmm. And when they do, they tend to lose. And so, I was a little disappointed that the episode spent so much time talking about, you know, oh, they're going to break the blockade, you know, they're going to destroy the the rebel, the imperial forces, not the rebel forces. And it's about, well, like, the, at this point, the rebels are trying to run. They're Yeah, they're doing stand. small hits, and then they're just right. running away. Yeah. But, small sorry, hits. I had a point there, and I've, as I was talking, I completely lost it. But no, I, 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 it, I think you're actually completely valid, though, Stephen. Right? The, the, the rebels, they'll, they'll make a small targeted attack uh, if they need to. Uh, or at least try to help out some people, and then they run off, and they're they're not about fighting in these big, uh, these big. They don't do battles. the stand up fight, right? Well, yeah, because they they destroyed. don't have enough forces to bring to bear, right? Uh, so it's all about these small targeted. Uh, yeah, they're surgical. Things. Very surgical. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, and that kind of takes me back to Callus's reaction to the B wing. It. Um, it was almost so profound to him that the rebels possessed anything with that kind of firepower. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he does say that's impossible. That's impossible. And then at the, at the end, after the rebels get through and they're taken off, he's just, he's dismayed. I mean, it's almost like he's, he's just in awe and impressed actually. Yeah. And it just, it seemed, it seemed like a weird look. And I, and I know they, the artists they they put a lot into uh, a lot of nuance into the the way the characters uh, express themselves mm-hmm. just on their faces alone. So I'm cr- 
I'm trying to I'm trying not to read too much into some of the looks that he gives, but it seemed really interesting to me the the way he was sort of admiring that ship and I don't know um I, I'm pretty sure there had to have been some other at least some vehicles or some other ships that had that kind of a super laser some com- combining super laser in the Clone Wars, but I could be the, mistaken. Uh, the I'm well the Ladai kind of has something the gun similar ship. yeah at a, at a smaller scale where you got those little balls on the side of the ship um and and they have like the, the three lasers coming into a, a point and then shooting out uh, and we saw those in attack of the clones and then the clone wars right um so it's, it's a similar concept we see repeated again and again throughout the throughout the star wars films so do you guys think do you guys think the uh super laser will make it into future iterations of the the b-wing i don't think so i don't think so either because i i think if that was the case, we probably would have seen it in Return of the Jedi. Right. Unless unless they're going to just somehow, at the end of the series, quote-unquote, write it off, and it just never got into the series. Or it could have been something where it's like, it can only be so many of these have that ability, but the rest of them don't. So it's almost like a, a specialty craft that needs to run a blockade, or you need two of these to get through a blockade. Well, you can't. I- that sort of effect, the the super laser combination effect. I feel, even though the Death Star did it first, I feel like it. Have, I, anytime I think of it, I think of it as a Clone Wars effect because I felt like it got used all the time in both the movies and the television show. Oh, interesting. That the lasers coming together and then you know causing a lot of damage. So I don't. I never think of it as an original trilogy effect when I see it. Really? Uh huh. That's fascinating. Yeah, and it, I mean it's interesting because the Death Star obviously does it, but on like smaller ships, I feel like. You just never see it. Yeah. There would also have to be a bunch of uh, so much power, and can a ship that small have that amount of juice in it to create that amount of power? I mean, naturally, miniaturization and all the other stuff that at that time could create it. It makes sense on a Death Star because it needs to have that amount of power to focus that amount of energy, and that could be why you never saw it within Jedi because only so few of them can generate that amount of power maybe it's because they're more beefed up maybe they have better hyperdrives that can actually generate that kind of power but the ones that we see in jedi aren't as armored and beefed up as the, as this one and then again this is a prototype that is true so, that is true yeah. uh i think one thing though we we haven't we kind of alluded to we haven't really discussed yet is the fact that after you know a a, a over a season, we're now on the what the fifth episode. So, uh, after many episodes, we finally have a Hera centric story. Yeah, was... which is huge because you know we would talk. We we complained in a few episode, a few episodes past how Hera often sits in the cockpit and you know she'll talk at the beginning and the end, but for the most of the episode, she's just waiting for everybody else in the cockpit. This time, she the, waits the, for everyone else in the cockpit, but right, we actually spend most of the episode with her. Exactly, which actually was really cool. So she she goes off on her own mission, and Kanan basically forces her to go off, which was interesting that she didn't want to leave. That um, was weird to me. That was really odd. I mean, she was super reluctant to heading to this um, planet of no return. Right, and it, and it, it didn't seem to be because of the danger. It seemed like she was worried that the battle would be over before she got back and she wouldn't be able to help. Yeah, yeah which I thought was another kind of weird plot point in this episode was the whole like okay go we need this ship in order to survive 
but we're not going to wait for you to come back with it, so don't worry about it. Well, <laughs> well I mean, the people were dying. Well, but right. I agree. It was. It seemed a little bit. But you should never start a fight. You know, you're not going to win. Right. Right. And they even started the fight without her, and she quote unquote had to catch up. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So exactly. Um, so I mean, there there are still a couple scenes with um, Kanan and and Ezra and Chopper back on the the Phantom with the rest of the Rebel fleet. Uh, and you know, Ezra I think at one point sat in Kanan's chair and. Uh, and try to take the try to take the pilot's chair. And there was this weird joke. I, I don't feel like it landed quite as well. Um, about you know, oh you're you know you're a co-pilot. Or uh, so I think Ezra's Ezra was trying to claim he's the co-pilot, and uh, and Kanan called him co-irritating instead, which is eh, okay. Yeah, I think it was talking about him and Chopper being co-irritating. That's what it was. Yeah, they're both annoying. Yeah, but I I agree. I was like, oh okay, we can we can move past that now. But uh, but it, it was very brief, and I think. The uh, the planet Shantipal itself was very cool. It almost reminded me of uh, a more of a brown or yellow version of Mikeito. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I could see that. Almost like you cross Bespin, the the colors of Bespin within the clouds with uh, Mikeito, because Mikeito also had those structures that kind of rose into the into the air. Um, yeah. Was it, I'm sorry, not my. Was it Mikeito? No, Salukamai. I, I, I was misspeaking. Salukamai is what I meant. Um, anyway, uh, the most interesting aspect of the planet, though, is that when when you fly through the atmosphere, the entire craft just loses power completely. Yeah, it's kind of annoying. Um, which is why it's this planet of no return. Uh, and we get this, <clears throat> this, this scene with uh, Hera trying to land the... Uh, the phantom successfully on the planet without dying. Uh, and they just barely make it. Well, don't forget as they're flying through the air, uh, Zeb notices what a, a ship that's been crashed uh, into yes. the side of one of those rocks, the floating rocks, which, and you know, uh, Shantipal to me immediately, I thought of Pandora, you know, avatar. Uh-huh. With the the flying rocks, I don't remember if you. I don't oh, know. Oh yeah, it's yes, been a while. Yes. But yeah. It's been a while, but I remember that. Yeah. And um, in fact, I th- does I'm not to go off on too much of a tangent, but I don't know if uh, Disney owns the Avatar property now. Not that it would come into the episode, but anyway, <laughs> um, it really did remind me a lot of a lot of those aspects, and throughout that entire scene of uh, Hera mastering. The B-wing. It it really evoked a lot of a lot of the uh, scenes from Avatar, um, where he dives off of the cliff, and I think we've seen this in other bits of fiction as well. They dive off the cliff and then they pull up the ship. Yes. And everything's uh, mm-hmm. fine and dandy, but you know, to me, it 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 really I think captured a lot of uh, a sense of um, I think that graduate level of ability and it was sort of that that moment for Hera to to move from just a rebel pilot to then being sort of that master pilot mm-hmm. yeah. yeah I mean we really do see her kind of step into the into the light really and, and and become that that pilot Corey realizes how good of a pilot she is as well which is the whole reason why he lets her fly the ship yeah because um, he wasn't going to early on. Yeah, I was 
I was a little disappointed with the backstory we got on Hera in this episode. <clears throat> like, because obviously this was kind of built up as the Hera episode. And I felt like a lot of what we learned we already knew. So, like, okay, we Hera talks about she's got kind of one, uh, what is it, a soliloquy? I guess it's not a soliloquy when she's talking to someone. But, you know, she's <clears throat> talking about how when she was born, <laughs> she was on Ryloth, you know, during the Clone Wars, and it was awful. And... You know, it just, and she talks about how she, you know, would watch the Reb, uh, the Republic ships fight up, you know, for her planet's freedom, and it really inspired mm. her, which I thought was cool. But I just, I don't know, I I was hoping for a little bit more, I think, out of her I think, discussion. Uh, I think I think the term you were looking at is monologuing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, but, but yeah. Steven, I actually agree with you. Um, it's cool to finally hear a little bit about about her background, but really all we all we learn is that, yes, she's from Ryloth. We knew that. Yep. yep. Um, she was there during the Clone Wars. Okay, we knew that. Um, and that she voluntarily chose to leave her family at some point. We don't know how old she was yep. to learn how to fly it and help other people. We and know she's a great was... pilot. We know she helps other people. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting that she'd chosen to to leave her family because I I feel like that sets up you know a, a reunion episode for her somewhere yeah. down the line. But but. For having built up the episode as the Hera episode, we get a little bit of her motivations, which aren't surprising, right? She says, you know, all of this is rooted in something that she can't explain, a need to be up there, meaning, you know, in the yeah. sky or in the stars, mm-hmm. she flying around. Fly. And she feels her best, you know, when she's flying, even when there's explosions and things are at their worst. Um, I, I feel like none of that is, is really surprising. Right, and and I and I I'm hoping we get more backstory on her than just this, because this I feel like, yes, we got something, but it's this tiny itsy bitsy piece of what I'm sure is a much larger, more interesting story. Well, it yeah. seems like they just they just throw us a bone. They throw us here. Here's a little bit of her backstory. Maybe for the end of the season, we'll investigate a little bit more because I I think there is still a backstory between her and Kanan. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think that is something that um, I would love to see them explore and, and explain a little bit right. more. Uh, for me, I I kind of felt like her, her monologue um, when she was talking about her herself uh, to Corey. I felt like they were really setting up the the whole idea of her being that leader, mm-hmm. being a leader yes. in the rebellion, and how she's really a natural leader. And so getting into the different characteristics of what makes a what makes a person a leader what makes a person mm-hmm. um have that ability to to take what little and few resources they have and turn it into something really successful and, and big and so to me i think within the small amount of time they have in this episode they kind of hit on each one of those bullet points and and sure they weren't really that detailed but um some of those points i think hit hit well i think hit the target pretty well Mm-hmm. Definitely, I, I I agree. I agree with that, and and it, it also worked well enough that it was able to convince Corey to let her finally pilot the B wing. Mm-hmm. You know, he he wasn't going to let uh, to let her fly it, which I found interesting. Right, so they they land on the planet, and there's this this brief scene where you know they they have this crash landing, and Zeb's worried that he says like, "Am I dead? I smell dead." Uh, you know the ship's about to fall <laughs> over, and they they jump out of the ship just in time, 
and then they, they meet Corey um, and, and had this little, uh, this argument about, you know, the definition of a good landing, basically. Uh, Hera believes it's anything you can walk away from. Corey believes it's anything where you can fly the ship again afterward, which actually I think is a fair, you know, assessment. Um, But you're landing on a planet that really doesn't help a ship fly in its atmosphere. Exactly. Um, But that's, so anyway, so that's when Corey takes us to the B-Wing and... And we get to learn more about it and how how special it is and its, its armaments and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but he says that he is waiting for the right pilot, which I find fascinating, right? He he mm-hmm. builds these ships, but he doesn't fly them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, he says, it's you know, I don't fly. It's too dangerous. Uh, he doesn't do it himself, but he's waiting for the right pilot to come to him. He's, uh, he's kind of like um, Hera's Yoda. I was thinking yes, that exactly. You're right. <laughs> okay, but here here's the flip side of that. He's waiting for the right pilot. Why didn't the Empire hear about this and send one of their pilots or well, just and, and get how in there long and take he, the ship? And how long has he been there for? Because Rex right. knows about this, so is it is it a recent source that Rex was able to, you know, did, did Rex contact the, this source somehow recently, or mm. or how long has Corey been waiting there for someone? Because you know Rex was kind of on, he was on his own planet for a while maybe communicating with people we don't really know i like how zeb joked that um was it zeb that joke that corey's been out of the water too long oh <laughs> really i missed that joke and i think he called him an old carp even <laughs> i mean there's I'm gonna some have to watch good ones again. that's great <laughs> completely missed that yeah zeb has great one-liners i mean oh yeah they, they can pop out i i do like hey. the one my dad i smell dead okay excuse me yeah if you there can were a smell couple really good ones you there. you're dead you're not dead mm-hmm. and, and sabine and zeb even joke about what the how the the b-wing looks when they first see it they're like it looks like uh i don't know i have the exact quote in front of me they're talking about how it, it looks like it's a it's on its its side and uh, I think it was like it was almost like a ship that was flattened, and they're just basically yeah. insulting the ship, uh, ship's design, which was which is pretty great. What do you guys think about the color? The orange color of the B wing. Yeah. I would say it's a prototype. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's just a prototype. Yeah, and, and it fit the 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 planet very well, I think. Um, and 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 Corey, and I I I I like the look. Yeah, I mean, he mentioned Corey mentioned that he didn't like the color, which mm-hmm. he, I mean, they made it a point to to bring that out. Yeah, and I was just thinking, okay, so what else? What other ships in the Star Wars universe were orange or like a rust orange? I don't know the Cloud City ships. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, yeah, that's true. What else? Uh, no, that that was really strange to me that he made that point. Yeah, well, I thought it was just kind of he's talking about how like a like many works of art, it's never finished. Like he's got this beautiful ship, but oh, well, the hyperdrive doesn't work. We'll fix that later. And, you know, for that matter, I don't really like the color. So I'll repaint it. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, that's kind of how I took it. He, he's just experimenting with different things, and it didn't quite um, match his expectations, maybe, or something. Um, I don't know. You could be right, though. Maybe maybe it's a, maybe it's the, a hint at what will come later. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. Um. So, what did you guys think of the the ship where Hera's the sorry the scene where Hera's actually and finally pilots the the B wing and takes it out for a test run? I think she finally felt free. 
it was a thing to where it's like I'm free, I can fly this, I'm not on a mission, I can enjoy myself, and I can really put something through its paces without having to worry about being shot at. I really liked her line. Oh, this is like, oh, this is definitely not a freighter or something like that. Because she's used to flying the Ghost, which is, mm-hmm. you know, a wonderful ship, but it ain't, a, it isn't a fighter. Right. It's true. Although, again, it was one of those things I found kind of funny because traditionally B wings aren't considered to be, you know, particularly Bimble? agile fighters. Yeah. yeah. They're usually considered to be far more uh, bulky and, you know, kind of non maneuverable. Right. But, more, more heavy weapons than. Heavy weapons, heavy armor. Yeah. But not about dogfighting. But again, compared to the ghost, probably anything is going to be better. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and and it's interesting too that I I want I want to learn more about why was the B wing able to fly in Chantepol's atmosphere? Thank is it, you. Is that it is that it was question. so such a good ship, or well, like it, it's. It's so powerful that it, you know it was able to overcome the uh, the limitations of the atmosphere, or or maybe it has some sort of tech well, thought, that's able to counteract it. I thought what I heard was that the upper atmosphere was the bad part, and the lower part was okay. okay well, but but then again, the Phantom had to get off the planet too. Right. That, that well, they, that's my they went off, thing. That's true. It doesn't yeah. explain that. Did they just attach it? Maybe they just attached it to the B wing uh, well, to get off the planet. We did they, see that later yeah, on we, right. right but but in the meantime like is still flying through the atmosphere down below and and it's implied that you know that atmosphere as well not not just the upper atmosphere but the you know closer to the surface is also just as bad because it it makes for a great um testing ground because if it you know your ship can fly in this atmosphere it can fly pretty much anywhere well also realize it was built on that planet and if Corey lived there for so long, he may have known, let's say, the makeup of the planet and how he can tweak a ship to actually fly in that kind of atmosphere. Where somebody who doesn't or who has a ship that's off planet won't have a ship that's maybe shielded by what's wrong with the planet and doesn't have the experience of flying in that kind of atmosphere. Yeah, that's true. How do you think Corey survived on Chantable? Because like, maybe, maybe he has like a garden of some sort there, but he seems to be the only person on the planet. Uh, that way he's on this little rock of a piece too. He, and he says he gets visitors every once in a while. Mostly they crash land. So how do they how do they leave the planet, uh, or they, do they just die? And I don't know. It's it's very very interesting that people have to come to him, but it's so hard to reach. Then again, it gets back to the point: is if everybody has to come get to him, why didn't the Empire get there first? I don't know. I just. That's true. That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did like the, the the scene though where Hera is is flying the B wing though, and you get this very uh, uplifting, um, not quite heroic, but more like you know, hey, it's working. Very. I'm not, I'm not sure about the best word to describe, but you get you get that music. It's like, oh, it, it's working. The ship is actually as great as it is. It you know, as Corey claims it is, and she's weaving around the big. Uh, rock structures and flying with the the other uh, creatures on the planet. Yeah, I, I agree, and I think uplifting is is definitely the right word to describe it. The music, uh, coupled with a lot of the way they they drew the scenes, shot the scenes, to me it was a sense of exhilaration. And yes, it was. Yes. I mean, truly, um, you get that sense of speed. You get that sense 
um, of the scale of the ship and its agility. I think really most importantly, its agility and and and, it, and again calling back to that aspect of the ship that rotates around the end of that cockpit. Um, I think when she when she discovered that, it really clicked, and to me that was really fun to see. Definitely, I I agree. Um, so I, I I enjoyed that that whole scene quite a bit. I, I feel like a lot of the episode was very, it was very simple. In many ways, it was, hey, we need a ship. Go to the planet, talk to the guy, convince him, fly the ship. Everything works great the first time. You have that little fake out where it's like, oh, the ship fell. Oh, here it is. It's flying. Um, and then go back, destroy the blockade. Everyone's happy. There wasn't a lot of too many challenges, I guess, to overcome. It, it was all it all came fairly easily, but uh, but it was still enjoyable. Yeah. Again, it seemed like it was an episode that just got you from point A to point B with a little bit more to it than I think the last episode. But it did its job. It well, gave like, you it, it gave you some backstory for Hera. You still want more. Mm-hmm. And it gave you the B-Wing to help with a blockade runner. Who's to say we'll see it again later? But it was just an episode to move you on to the next one. Yeah. That's how I see this. I will say, you know, I think the the one big impact that this episode will have is on uh, the stories they can tell now with the Phantom, because the Phantom's uh, is, is destroyed landing on the on the planet, or it's it's damaged, and uh, and Quarry comes and he has to fix the comm system and everything, and in the process he actually installs a brand new hyperdrive into the Phantom, yeah, which mm-hmm. is interesting because right, it's it's a very small ship. Um, but I guess they were able to, to fit a, a hyperdrive into it, and that will allow them to do more long-range uh, missions. Which, thinking back on it, haven't they done that already? They, <clears throat> I feel like they effectively have been doing that already. Right. Like, but I feel was like it with I... the hyperdrive, or was it the ghost taking it, and then with the Phantom leaving? Well, because I feel like a lot of times Ezra would steal the the Phantom. Mm-hmm. Or or someone else would take the Phantom and they'd go to other places. Oftentimes they would drop the Phantom off, but at other times, um, you know, they'd still steal the Phantom and go somewhere. And I'm guessing they weren't using the sublight drives the whole time because mm-hmm. that would have limited their range. But maybe maybe they were. But e- either way, now we have a hyperdrive on the Phantom, and so they can go much further distances, which is, which is pretty cool, and for uh, free. If I can jump in and talk a little bit more about um, the merits of the episode, I know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I mm-hmm. totally agree with you guys that it was kind of, you know, light in terms of detail. Um, but having Hera as a focus of the episode, I think it was the first time we actually saw Hera without those goggles on her head that she's never used. Ah, yes. Correct. Um, and she gets actually a new look with that weird mask. Not really a helmet. It was yeah. More a mask that mm-hmm. places on her face, which is interesting. And um, the way she puts it on was interesting too. Yeah. Almost, it seemed like there was no strap on the back. She just put it in on the front of her face and just locked on. Yeah. Which somehow is necessary for this ship instead of just um, I don't know her regular gear that she had. It looks cool. <laughs> <laughs> that too. It's all that. Uh, yeah, and you know, I, I'm not. I'm sure I wasn't the only person to notice. Like, 
it was weird that her head tails seemed to be a lot more animated. I'm yeah, sure there was just mm-hmm. episode, but there was a great shot that I really appreciated where when the ghost when they're crashing, I think it was um, on the Phantom, and she goes upside down, and you see her head tails kind of dangling below while you know the rest of her is well, everyone else is upside down and panicking and yeah, yeah. It was just it was really well done. So I think a lot of the a little little details to her look, um, coupled with coupled with some of the backstory aspects of it, I think it was a pretty decent episode for, for especially for a character that we really have not seen a lot of um, throughout the season. I agree. Yeah. I agree definitely. And she gets a promotion to uh, to Phoenix leader and becomes yeah, Captain I... uh, Captain Hera. That's one of those things that makes me wonder how big of an effect it'll actually have in the long term. Like, does it is it actually important that she's now the captain of the fighters, or is it just going to be, you know, business as usual? She'll shout some orders to fighters while they're doing everything their normal yeah. duties. Yeah, yeah, but she's already done that. I mean, I think one of the episodes when they were going trying to go through a blockade and she's in the ghost, she's saying, "Hey, form up on me." I mean, I don't know. We will see what happens going forward with that. Well, do you guys know what happened to the former Phoenix leader? Didn't he have an issue trying to get through the first blockade? (laughs) (laughs) That's probably what it is. (laughs) Yeah, I think think it was a slight issue. (laughs) So he's dead. Slight issue, no big deal. You know what? I didn't want to be be blunt about it. (laughs) He had issues. So there's a there's a bit of gravitas to to her getting the promotion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's dead, but here you go. Take the take the job. You get it. It's yours. Congratulations. Thanks for coming in at the last minute minute and uh, and saving the day, just because you had a very powerful ship. I, I do wonder, like, how much is how much of the ship is the ship itself, and how much of it is Hera's piloting skills. Hmm. You know. Could any other pilot fly the B-Wing as successfully? Or was Hera just uniquely suited for it? Because they Corey, well, make, Corey makes this whole um, this whole speech about how he wants to find just the right pilot. And is that because he only wants to give a ship that's special to someone who is maybe worthy of flying it? Or is it more of like a, hey, I actually want to have a... A good pilot, because you know, you need to be a good pilot to fly this thing. Okay, but maybe along, means... maybe to your point, Stephen, about how difficult difficult it might be to fly. Well, and that was one of those things where I understand why they did, because you know it's a TV show and we've got a limited budget. But it's like, okay, it's a big space battle. You know, we're gonna break the blockade. Everyone flying a straight line. <laughs> good work. We broke the blockade. <laughs> like, okay. Well. But you you had a B wing at the front that had really powerful lasers to take out one of those. Oh, yeah. uh, 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 and we all know you Battle Stars. That's the wrong. Battle Star happens to be the wrong show. Um, Star Destroyer. <laughs> Star Destroyer. Thank you. I'm sorry. I'm I'm looking at my uh, Starbuck print that's on the wall right now, right next to my go. Riven and Malik and Boba Fett. And I was looking at Starbuck when I said that. So. Uh, but um, I'm okay. So I've never really understood the whole idea of the blockade. Ever since, really, when when was it used? Um, the blockade runner was first introduced in what episode four? Yeah, was the first yeah, scene, yeah. the very first scene. 
And then in episode one, okay, so fast forward to episode one, where, what is it, the the Royal Starship, Naboo Royal Starship? Yeah, the Trade Federation is blocking. Yeah, Trade, And they just get right through it. It's probably because they've got a really super fast and shiny ship, but the blockades never seem to pose that big of a threat. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I've I've never seen... And I think, I think taken to account what you're saying when it came to episode one, there were more ships blockading the planet Naboo than the three that were blockading uh, this, <laughs> this one in this episode. Yeah. Right. I think, yeah, I think some of it's like, you know, you want to stop, you know, most, in, in this case, they want to stop ships with supplies. Usually, like, I'm, I'm guessing big more, you know, like freighters from approaching yeah. the planet. You know, they can try to stop the smaller ships um, to, to varying degrees of success. Um, but I think it's more about just stopping, you know, normal transportation in and out of the planet. That's that's the primary purpose. Yeah. And episode one, I think, did a better job because you see far more ships that are kind of spaced around the planet. And right. it right. looks more like it'd be difficult to get through. Episode five does a decent job of implying this as well. But... Yeah. Then, I mean, Here it's like the three ships. You're just like, uh, okay. right. But if you think about it, like just how many, how much, how many resources it would take to blockade an entire planet, and every time you want to do this, you have to call in like, you know, thousands or a million ships because you got to cover every angle. So, um, I I believe I remember reading some good explanation in the EU, and I, I don't remember off the top of my head. Well, well, credit to Callus who was able to, yeah, with three ships able to. Yeah. <laughs> able to hold them off so well um shall we uh get into our final thoughts for the episode i'm good so uh, is the dog i think the dog agrees i think the Sorry. dog agrees <laughs> okay. okay um so uh the dog let's hear your rating how many womp rats out of 10 are uh tom well you want to go first with this uh, i'll go first sure. um you know it was an enjoyable episode i i i know we spent some time questioning a lot of the the things that were happening but it was fun it gave enough not enough but it gave uh, enough of a bit i know this doesn't make any sense but enough of a bit of a backstory to Hera that it at least wants you to get more later um, so I, I'm, I'm going to give this one a, a solid seven. Uh, I, it was a good episode. It introduced how the B wing was created. Um, and then at this point it introduced core, uh, Corey. I mean, it, it was, a, it was a solid episode. I'm going to take my seven womp rats. I'm going to put him in a survival pod and just shoot them onto the planet and see if they can make it. <laughs> Plain and After simple. the blockade. Really yeah. Blockade. Well, yeah. You know what? I don't know if it's through the blockade or or send them to um, um, Chantepol and let them try and get get through that atmosphere. <laughs> you know, if they can figure out how to land it, great. If you shoot them toward the blockade, if they can get past the three ships, you know what? That's what I'm going to do. It's the seven Womp Rats that were able to get through the blockade because they were small enough to make it past those three Star Destroyers. Cal's <laughs> no never saw them protected. coming. Yeah, yeah, no life forms detected. Yeah, no life forms detective. De- detective, detect. Wow, 
please. It's not Monday. Um, none of them detected. They were able to get through and get the supplies without a blockade runner and the B-Wing. So there, they did a good deed for the day. Cool. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Steven? All right. <clears throat> so I think I'm actually going to go a little bit higher. because. Whoa, well, Steven's like... going higher. Really? I, I, hey, it's not nice. <laughs> it happens occasionally. Rarely, <laughs> okay. but occasionally. We usually go, you know, William's the highest, and then... Uh, and then Tom's in the middle, and Steven's at the bottom, and we it could be the the same score, or you know, a little bit different, or a lot different, but that's usually the pattern. So I'm just surprised that you're. You know. Well, it's good. It's a ship episode, <laughs> and I. Yeah. Oh no, I fully expect this to be higher. So I thought the episode was generally pretty good. Um, I would have liked to seen a little more detail on uh, the on Hera, of course, but ignoring that, I. I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good episode. Um, so I'm going to give it seven and a half Womp Rats. And, well, I mean, I guess I'll just say, what sort of supplies did you think they were delivering? <laughs> womp Rat meat. Exactly. <laughs> oh. Canned efficient. Womp Rat. Wow. It's wow. kind of like the spam of the Star Wars universe, but slightly worse. <laughs> <laughs> wow Jeez. so basically it's womp rat in a can yeah <laughs> canned womp rat yum Camp, canned womp rat yum 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 there you go um well i think i i enjoyed this episode as well uh i would have loved to get more backstory on Hera. i think i'd love to get a little more um clarity on how the ship was able to fly and i, I really want i'm very curious to see how you know how this impacts the rebellion now that they're manufacturing these B wings and uh, and the fact that they have a factory to manufacture the B wings in general is, is is pretty impressive at this point. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that sort of thing. And I, so anyway, it, it was it perfect? No, but I really enjoyed Corey. I enjoyed the the B wing. All the references to the 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 West End games and and people who worked on the, the Star Wars films and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and while it didn't necessarily progress the overall plot a ton of, of Rebels, the B-Wing is just a really cool ship. And I'll be honest, I wasn't a huge, I've never been a fan necessarily of the B-Wing. It was just another ship. Like the X-Wing, everybody loves the X-Wing. The B-Wing, I'm like, oh, that's cool. But I was never super into it. Um, this episode made me think, oh, okay, yeah, the B-Wing, the B-Wing is cool. I like the B-Wing. Uh, or the blade wing, as we find out. And I yeah, wonder... I was gonna say I have to give him some points for being like, okay, we got an X wing, we got a Y wing. Well, I guess there's a B wing too, and they actually like, you know what? No, it's not. That's a B wing. It's called a blade wing because it kind of has like a blade wing. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I appreciate that they put a little more effort into the naming than we've gotten before. <clears throat> yes, I I agree. So with that, um, I think I'm actually going to. Oh, shockingly, uh, match Uh-oh. Steven's rating of 7.5. Uh, and uh, again, very, very, very enjoyable. Um, uh, and I match Steven's rating of 7.5, and my 7.5 Wamparats are going to be... You're wondering how the ship could fly in Chantable's atmosphere. It's actually because there's 7.5 Wamparats inside the B-Wing. You know, on those little... Um, uh, pedaling away those little bikes you know pedaling away uh <sighs> allowing the ship to to stay in the atmosphere that's the that's a lot. that's the secret rick 
What did you think? All right. <laughs> I'm going to have to, you know, I agree with all of the comments about how little detail or, or how more detail they could have included into the story. But, you know, it hit a few high notes. And I think that it, the, the show, the episode, hit these high notes pretty well, uh, stemming from um, a little bit of introspective with Hera, um, her her success with the B-Wing test run. Um, I really, I was blown away by that super laser. Um, so to me, those details were, were just enough, I think, to, to hit those notes for me. In addition, you know, we get introduction of, of course, the, a new ship. We get introduction of a new character in Quarry who could impact the future of the show. And yep. uh, last but not least, Hera's promoted to Phoenix leader. So... To me, I think um, this progresses the show, and it gives me, um, uh, I think, a little bit more excitement to see where uh, the show will go with these um, these new elements. So, I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10. Awesome. Wow. Break out of the 7. Very cool. And um, so it gets down, it, it gets pretty lonely down uh, down with uh, Quarry on Chantipole. And um, so these eight Womp Rats are uh, his buddies. They're they're the bar rats that he hangs out with. <laughs> okay, but but he doesn't eat womp rats to survive, right? No comment on that. Yeah, I was gonna say they they may be his bar buddies, but you know, is there a barbecue in the back? And you know, just there is barbecue buddies. <laughs> yeah, barbecue buddies. Okay. I should probably get out of this episode before you do any more puns, because even Peel wouldn't stoop that low. Um... Oh. <clears throat> Okay, on that note, coming up on the Ion Cannon podcast, we're going to be reviewing Season 2, Episode 6, Blood Sisters. The synopsis, on a mission to escort a courier with secret information vital to the rebel cause to a rendezvous point, (laughs) Sabine must face off against her old friend and partner. Mm. So this past episode, we got a Hera-centric episode. Now we're getting, for the one coming up, a Sabine-centric episode. I am very excited about this one as well. Yeah. I hope we get more Sabine backstory uh, than we got I agree. Hera. I suspect we will because, you know, in this episode we had Hera talking about her backstory. Uh, next week we're going to have Sabine running into someone she used to, and she knows, right? Someone from mm-hmm. her past. And so my hope is that just by its very nature we'll get more backstory. But it seems likely, I'd say. Yeah. We will see. So with that, um, Rick, want to thank you so much for uh, joining us for this episode. This was a lot of fun having you on. Thank you, guys. It was, it was really fun, really great talking with you guys, uh, especially about the show that I love uh, tremendously. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's great. Yeah. Do you uh, Would you like to plug uh, anything uh, uh, online maybe where people can find you if, if, they're, if they're curious? Um, well, you can go to Twitter at Ace Attorney, one word, and um, I'll be. I tweet mainly about Xbox and video games, but uh, a lot about Star Wars too. Because uh, yeah, I mean, it's, those are those are my favorite topics. So <laughs> there you go. That's why we're friends. <laughs> it explains a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And with that, uh, thank you for listening, everyone, and we will be back next week with Blood Sisters. Thank you for listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away, including Rebels, 
the sequel trilogy, spin-off films, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help the show grow within the Star Wars fan community. Visit our website, ioncanoncast.com, or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. You can also get in contact with us by emailing contact at ioncanoncast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, the Walt Disney Company, or any of their respective trademark or copyright holders. Any and all opinions are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production of fans by fans and is copyright 2015.